What do all of these people, John, Jane, Joe, Jim, and Judy, have in common? See if you can figure it out. John's mother is diagnosed with cancer in early April, and she dies less than a year later. He blames God and stops going to church. Jane asks God for something in prayer, but she doesn't get it. She gets angry. She proceeds to take out her anger on her husband, her children, and anyone else who gets in her path, in her way. Joe is abused sexually and emotionally by his parents, so he decides to shoot them. Jim has a big argument with his wife. To forget his troubles, he goes to the local casino and he spends his entire paycheck after work. Judy feels rejected by her family, by her friends, by the other students at her school. So she begins to live a very promiscuous lifestyle. What do all of these people have in common, besides the fact that their first names begin with J? The answer is, they all learned disobedience from what they suffered. They learned disobedience from what they suffered. Each of them suffered. Each of them suffered in a different way and for a different reason. But they all responded negatively to what they experienced. They all responded sinfully to what they experienced. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, was different, as today's second reading reminds us. There the author of the letters of the Hebrews tells us, and here I quote, Son though he was, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. He didn't learn disobedience like John, Jane, Joe, and the rest. Jesus learned obedience. And when he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. This means that every time Jesus faced disappointment or rejection or opposition or betrayal or hatred in his earthly life, he said to the Heavenly Father, Thy will be done. He said that in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know, but it wasn't just in the Garden of Gethsemane. He did it in his heart, in every situation of his life. And in that way, by obeying his Father, in every difficult circumstance he faced, he learned obedience in his human nature. In other words, he learned obedience by being obedient. Which, when you think about it, is the way, we, not the way we human beings learn obedience. It's the opposite. Because we're weak and sinful, we often learn obedience only after we suffer the consequences of our disobedience. For example, how often have you done something wrong, suffered the consequences, and then said, well, that sure taught me a lesson. That's called learning obedience the hard way. That's learning obedience by suffering the consequences of not obeying. Of course, that's much better than not learning obedience at all or allowing the suffering to lead us into more disobedience, which is what sometimes happens, unfortunately, with people. 
This brings me to an excellent op-ed piece by Peggy Noonan. Some of you may have seen this. This appeared in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago, really just a few days after the Parkland, Florida school shootings. Title of this op-ed piece, this little article, is The Parkland Massacre and the Air We Breathe. Peggy Noonan's basic thesis in this article is that every country in the world, including ours, creates an atmosphere, a social and a moral atmosphere in which we live and work and recreate and raise families. Well, in her view, sad to say, the social atmosphere, the moral atmosphere in America right now is toxic, especially to our young people. And I agree with her. She asked the question, what has happened in the past 40 years or so to produce a society so ill at ease with itself, so prone to violence? She then answers the question by saying this, we have been swept by social, technological, and cultural revolution. The family blew up, divorce, unwed childbearing, fatherless sons, fatherless daughters too, poor children with no one to love them. The internet flourished, porn proliferated, drugs legal and illegal, violent video games in which nameless people are eliminated and spattered all over the screen. The abortion regime, regime settled in with its fierce, endless, yet somehow casual talk about the right to end a life. An increasingly violent entertainment culture, low, hypersexualized, full of anime and weirdness, allergic to meaning and depth. The old longing for integration gave way to a culture of accusation. You are a supremacist, a misogynist. You are guilty of privilege and defined by your color and class we don't let your sort speak here. She then makes note of how all this evil in the atmosphere has affected our young people. She writes, It does not feel accidental that America is experiencing what appears to be a mental health crisis, especially among the young. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recently reported as many as 20% of children, 3 to 17, have in any given year a mental or emotional illness. There is research indicating depression among teenagers is worsening. Imagine that with all we have. It's worsening. National Public Radio recently quoted a 2005 report asserting the percentage of prison inmates with serious mental illness rose from less than 1% in 1880 to 21% in 2005. In the society we have created the past 40 years, you know, we are not making fewer emotionally ill young people, but more. She then singles out abortion specifically and the recent failure of the United States Senate to pass a bill that would have banned most abortions after 20 weeks. Shame on them. Shame on them all. 
including our two senators, who voted against it. She mentions abortion as one of the evils that has greatly poisoned the atmosphere for our young people and contributed to their mental confusion and their disregard for human life. She says they see and they read news reports about things like this Senate vote and they think to themselves, and here I quote her, if the baby we don't let live is unimportant, then I guess I am unimportant. And you're unimportant, too. This, my brothers and sisters, is the corporate, national suffering we're experiencing in our country at the present time. The latest example of which is the Parkland school shooting. Peggy Noonan's article explains it well. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, learned obedience from what he suffered. Will we as a nation learn obedience from this national suffering we're currently experiencing? Will the trials that we're presently going through bring a significant number of our citizens back to God and back to God's truth? Or will those trials lead to more disobedience and more rebellion? I and many others are convinced that the future of the United States of America and in some sense the future of the entire world rests on how we as a nation answer those questions.